Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Hi, this is Josh Hadley, host of the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast, where I interviewed the top business leaders in e-commerce. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. You know, I started Hadley Designs back in 2015 and grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path to getting to eight figures a lot longer. At times, I actually doubted whether I had an actual real brand that could survive and doubted my own abilities to lead a company like that. I wish I would have had a guide to help me grow faster and avoid a lot of those stumbling blocks. If you've hit a plateau and you want to know the next steps to help take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session um, at no cost. So email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com with the subject line strategy audit. And tell me why your business should win the free audit for the chance to win. And don't worry if you don't win the free audit session this month because you're going to be entered for future months to come. So today, I'm excited to introduce to you Chad Franson. He is here with Rise25, who has done hundreds of interviews with successful entrepreneurs and CEOs. We have flipped the script and he will be interviewing me today. Chad, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Josh. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Uh, I look forward to talking to you. To, uh, the last time we spoke, we spoke about kind of the, some of the difficulties you had getting going with various things. And one of those things was hiring people and kind of hiring them into ambiguous roles. Now, I know the, thing you, the time you, period you talked about was a few years ago. You've certainly drilled that down. And we'd like to talk about maybe your hiring process this time. From what I understand from most entrepreneurs, especially when they first get started, hiring can be a, a, a challenge or something that's pretty tricky. Is that what you found? Yeah, you know, I've joined multiple mastermind groups and it doesn't matter what industry people are in. I hear the same problems arise time and time again. It's how do I find really good people and how do I assess whether this these candidates are actually going to be A players for my team. And so in kind of a lot of, you know, talks with these other entrepreneurs in these mastermind groups, along with a lot of testing failing on my part, I've been able to, what I would argue is a more streamlined and very efficient process to identify A players and bring them onto your team. You know, I've, I've hired a lot of people, we've let go of a lot of people. And through that process, we've really, really refined the process to hiring really successful candidates. And I've boiled it down to kind of a seven step process, which I'm excited to share with you. Yeah, very good. We're looking forward to hearing it. Uh, why don't you go through the seven steps, just kind of a broad view of the seven steps, and then we'll dive into each one individually. Awesome. All right. So there's seven main steps to hiring a effective A team player for your business. Number one is you've got to define the role and what success looks like. Number two, 
you've got to set KPIs and identify what the day-to-day responsibilities and tasks are going to be. Number three, you've got to list the job and on multiple websites and promote it on multiple websites. Step number four is once you start receiving applicants, you need to have those applicants take assessments. Step number five, you need to give those applicants that pass your assessments test projects to complete. And step number six, those people that pass your test projects that you give them, you need to actually do interviews with them. Okay. And during these interviews, you'll be looking for a pattern of success in their career. We'll dive into all of these in more detail. But step number seven is to extend the offer in correlation with having them sign a role profile document so that everybody is on the same page in terms of what the expectations are so that when they start, they understand that this is a probationary time. They've got to earn the job. So those are my, those are my seven steps to effectively hiring A players. Okay. I'll look forward to uh, diving into them here. The first one, define the role and what success looks like. Can I break, down, break that down for me a little bit more if you could? Yeah. You know, in my previous podcast episode where I was talking about my five biggest mistakes that I've made along the way, I talked about hiring the wrong people at the wrong time. And one of the biggest mistakes I see a lot of entrepreneurs make is that they just assume, hey, I'm really struggling with this area of my business. I just need to hire somebody that's smarter than me and that they can just handle it. Well, the challenge with that is that you have no experience in that realm, right? You don't know what the KPIs should be. You, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, but I should just have more sales, right? But you've got to be able to clearly articulate what success looks like from the onset and also understand how, why is that one of the most pressing issues in your business right now? Why are you hiring them? So that's the first step is, is actually defining the role. So what does this mean? It means you need to go through and assess in your business, where is your biggest bottleneck? And rather than just saying, hey, I, I look at all these other companies and everybody has let's say an operations manager, just because everybody else has an operations manager doesn't mean that that needs to be your first hire. Or just because a lot of people have a marketing manager, that doesn't mean you need to go out and immediately hire a marketing manager. The best approach to take is more of a methodical approach. And what I encourage everybody to do, and especially if you're in the e-commerce space, you've just crossed seven figures and you want to go to eight and beyond, you've got to get really good at determining what roles you need to hire for your business so that you can then be able to replicate your own success and grow. So the way that you do this is that you identify what are all of the, the projects that you're working on. Um, I like the doing a time study. So you do a two-week time study where you're literally analyzing where you spend your time every 15 minutes of the day. This is even personal time and your working time. And then at the end of those two weeks, take a step back and then look at the results, right? Where are you spending most of your time? And if you can identify, wow, I'm doing a lot of operational tasks, well, maybe you need to hire a project manager or wow, I'm doing a lot of marketing tasks or I'm doing a lot of influencer partnerships or whatever that might be. If you can identify that, that is where you begin to say, okay, it looks like this is where a lot of my time's going. If I can then replicate somebody else to be doing what I'm doing at least 80% or better, 
look at how much time this is going to free up for myself. Now, all of these, let's say it's 30 hours a week that you're working on this particular task or type of tasks. You now have 30 hours a week to go work on another aspect of your business. And then when you get to that point on in another area of your business where you're spending a lot of time there, you've got things somewhat dialed in decently well, then you hire that out, right? And so you do this methodical approach of like, hey, how do I you know, stop being the bottleneck, understand the tasks, offload it to somebody else, continue working on revenue generating activities, and then keep offloading those and take it step by step. Um, so many times I think we look at venture capital firms where immediately they get funding and then they're like, I need an HR staff, I need a marketing team, I need an operations team, I need, and the list goes on and on and on. It's like, if you're, if you're bootstrapping your business, you don't have the luxury of just like, I just need everybody right now. And I also don't think that that's the best way to approach it in the first place. I think it's very, very good to hire methodically. It's a little bit slower, but you're going to have much bigger, better success there. So to sum things up here, you've got to define the role and you've got to define the role because you've actually done or you understand that role and you're knowledgeable about it. It's really hard to hire somebody if you have no idea what that role entails and how do you identify a really good person in that role. So identify that role and then genuinely list out what does success look like. And when I talk about what does success look like, you need to break it down into three chunks. What does success look like for the overall role itself? Okay. Long-term vision, like what is the perfect person doing in this role? Okay. Then you break it down even further and you say, okay, in the next 90 days, what does success look like? If this person starts day one, what do the first 90 days look like? So that at day 90, I can assess whether, yeah, this person is hitting all of these goals and they're succeeding. Then you know, okay, we've got somebody headed in the right direction. And then finally, what does success look like at 180 days, right? So now you've got your six months into the job. If you can start mapping out what success looks like, you're going to have much better success in general in hiring the right people. And those team members are going to have a clear understanding of exactly what they should be working on, what they should be striving towards. Instead of trying to guess what's inside your head, they know what milestones they're looking to achieve. So that's step number one. If you can't do that, then I would not be creating any job listings, anything else until you have completely solidified what that role looks like. How difficult, so, how difficult yeah, what do you it? think? Yeah. How difficult is it to define the role? Like, can you give me an example of maybe the, the last role that you posted and hired for and uh, kind of what went into that, if, especially if it was a new role? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So yeah, let me tell you a story of how we just hired our VP of operations. This role took us six months to fill. Okay. This was not an easy role. This is a, this is a big role for our business. And so we were very methodical in how we went through. We, we interviewed multiple candidates. We went through multiple rounds of posting this job and trying to get the best candidates to apply. So when it came down, one of the first things that I had to do was sit down and discuss with my wife, Becca, and because she's part of the leadership team, not that I just consult my wife on everything, but she's part of our leadership team. And I sat down and said, what would it look like if we're going to be paying this person a lot of money, which we are, if we're paying them a lot of money to come in, 
what type of tasks should they be offloading off of my shoulders to begin with that will free me up? And what will I then be able to do in the business? Because if there's not going to be an ROI with this person, it's probably not worth the hire at this point. So we were able to clearly articulate for myself, I, I had to do a time study. That's the first step. I went through, I did the time study, identified, it looks like I'm spending a lot of my time joining team meetings, coordinating the one-on-one, facilitating one-on-one conversations with my team, attending project status updates, managing the day-to-day operations. And that, as I broke all of those tasks down, I said, wow, that's, that's taking up 80% of my work week. If I can offload that, that allows me to step more into my visionary seat that I need to be in. And it allows me to go create uh, other partnerships. It allows me to go make strategic acquisitions for the business that I'm not able to do right now. So that's how we justified, okay, there's going to be an ROI for this person. And here's what the tasks are going to look like. And then basically I was able to define what success looks like by saying, hey, here's all the tasks that I need to offload from my shoulders and went step by step by step. And honestly, that was a that was a process of a month in the making. It wasn't that I sat down on my computer and just whipped out this document in one day and was like, oh, it's perfect. I kept going back to it because this is such a big role for our business. I needed to make sure I kind of encapsulated everything I would need this person to take on and what they would be responsible for. That kind of leads us into uh, step two then, set KPIs and day-to-day activities and responsibilities. Yep, exactly. So that, you know, as you're setting up what success looks like, the next step in step number two is actually defining how you're going to measure that success, right? Don't just say, well, you're, you're running the business. Okay, what, is that, what does that mean, right? You're making sure all the projects get completed. The setting KPIs forces you to create measurable activities or events in your business. So for me, I listed one of our KPIs that I listed for our new VP of operations is that 90% of all of our team member KPIs, because every single one of our team members have their own KPIs, 90% of all of those team member KPIs that are reporting to him need to be green, like we're meeting those targets and above, right? So that's very clear. Like it's not this, hey, I need to make sure your team's performing well. It's, it needs to be 90% of or above. And we get to measure this specifically every single week. I can get a report and say, this week we're at 80%. All right, we got some room for improvement. This week we're at 95%. Okay, good. We're, we're headed in the right direction. So KPIs are, are super important. They've got to be measurable events. Um, let, let's think of another role um, in the business. So for us, let's go with PPC management. All right. So advertising management, the same things that I have, well, the, the KPIs that I have going on with our PPC management is number one, we've got to be hitting a certain, um, we call it tacos, total advertising cost of sale for the business. So when we spend money on Amazon, we need to make sure that we're actually getting a healthy return on that. So the KPI for our business is it needs to be 15% or below. And if it's not, then that that manager is responsible for reporting back to me, here's my plan of action to get there, right? And there's multiple KPIs that we have established, but that's where it all begins because if you can't establish a KPI, you don't you have not been able to clearly articulate what success looks like 
your team member is not quite sure what success looks like either. And they're just kind of like, I think I'm doing a good job optimizing your ads. It's a little bit more efficient, but we're just, we're just trying, right? And so it's very clear for both parties to say, we're meeting this and it's working great or no, it's not. And you know, those KPIs then lead to your day-to-day activities, right? So from those KPIs, you list out like, what does it take on a day-to-day basis in order for you to actually hit those KPIs, right? Hey, if I'm going to hit 15% tacos for our business, that means I need to optimize our campaigns on a daily basis. I need to make sure that I'm reducing wasted ad spend. I'm negating keywords that aren't working because there's more than 30 clicks. Like you can see how detailed this becomes, but all of this stems from what does success look like big picture? That's what we talked about in step number one. Now we're in step number two. You're listing out measurable KPIs. And then within that, from that KPI, it trickles down to like, all right, what are the levers? What are the tasks that people can be pulling and working on in order to you know, influence that KPI? So step three then is listing the job on multiple sites. Are all these things that you have determined in that job posting, or is that just handy to know when you've hired the candidate? Yeah. So this is listing it on like, so steps one and two are walking through you kind of like creating a job description ultimately, right? So step number three is you've created basically your job description at this point. You've, you've told people what success looks like. You've listed out the day-to-day responsibilities and activities and the KPIs. If you do that in and of itself, and I've heard this numerous times from the people that we've hired, our job listings are so detailed and they see the KPIs and candidates get excited because they're like, these people know what they're doing and I know what I can do to achieve those results. Like you're going to get a talent actually applying for your job listings because of the way that you've written out your job post, right? So step number three is once you've kind of established that job listing, okay, then you go out and you get that thing plastered everywhere you can, right? Um, Now, one of our areas of specialty has been being able to hire, um, you know, I call it management level staff, but overseas. And so we're able to get really, really smart people, but that are working, you know, internationally and in different countries. Uh, We have somebody from Mexico on our team. We've got a lot of team members in the Philippines. So how do we find these people that have a lower cost of living, right? So the salaries aren't as higher, but to them, it's more than a livable wage. In fact, they appreciate it. They're getting paid more than what they would if they just worked inside their own country, which I love. It's a win-win relationship. So that's where we've focused a lot of our, our hiring. So the job sites that we use to go find these contractors that are overseas is we'll go to Upwork, We'll go to onlinejobs.ph. We will also post on Indeed. Those are our three like easy ones. And I know that like within the US, there's a lot of other like job listing sites. There's Monster and you know, the list goes on, ZipRecruiter, the list goes on and on there. But specifically for independent contractors overseas, those are my three like go-tos. Okay. And so you're able to go list those jobs on those websites. And then it's not enough to just list the jobs. You need to go invite people to apply. So on onlinejobs.ph, we have a whole messaging system where I have my executive assistant goes out and searches, you know, there's like filters that you can set to find different contractors you want to work with. So if we're hiring somebody for PPC management, 
then I can say, hey, the keyword's PPC manager. Let me see the list of people. And then my executive assistant messages every single one of those people that show up. Sometimes they're thousands of people and invites them to apply to our job. We do the same thing on Upwork, right? Filter the candidates, message every single one of them, invite them to apply to your job. Uh, now, you're not able to really do that on Indeed as much. But when you do that, you are going to fill up your funnel of applicants. And it very easily will have more than a thousand applicants for any particular job um, by following this process. So that, that's definitely something I would recommend. Too many people just expect, well, I posted the job and only got like 10 people that applied. Yeah, that, that's a mistake. Like you should probably be starting at a thousand so that you can whittle it down to one A player, like genuinely speaking. Wow. So you have you have a thousand applicants. And then your next step is have applicants take assessments. Do all thousands take these assessments? Yeah. Yes. And that's the way it's like, how am I going to interview a thousand applicants? Right. And that's, I think, one of the most the biggest misconceptions that people think about in the in the process of hiring. They assume like, oh, I, I don't want to have a thousand applicants because then I am going to have to review a thousand resumes, a thousand cover letters. I'm going to have to sit on a thousand meetings with people. No, like let, let's break that barrier down right now because that that's a myth. Okay. So step number four in this process is having the applicants take assessments. Now the software that I use that does all of these assessments, because there's a lot of other hiring tools and assessment sites that charge you like per applicant that takes the assessment. That's way expensive. I would not recommend anybody goes that route, especially if you have a thousand applicants. So the, the website I found, the software is called Criteria Corp. And we'll put that in the show notes, um, but it's criteriacorp.com. Okay. And one of the assessments that we choose, it's called like the CAT score. Um, so basically the gist of it is that it's like an IQ score. Okay. In addition to that, we have like a simple like verbal and mathematical skills assessment that will assess people's like English speaking ability as well as their mathematical ability, especially since we're hiring people overseas. So immediately we already have kind of like, here's the criteria that people need to pass for this particular role, right? So if I'm hiring like a management level staff or you know C-suite level staff, I need to have somebody that's got a really high IQ, right? Now I know it's not perfect, but it's, it's a good predictor of success according to their, their software and platform. The higher that score, what they've seen is it correlates to better success in any particular role, which I think is interesting. So anyways, we've found that to be true in our business as well. So what we've done is we establish, hey, this needs to be at least 70 or higher. And the score's out of 100. So it needs to be 70 or higher for us to even consider you, right? And then your English score needs to be at least 95% or above, or else we're not going to consider you either, right? So those are like the basic, that's like just the minimum criteria that honestly will whittle the candidates down from a thousand to a hundred instantly. And so all you have to do is as soon as people apply, I'm not, I don't look at their resume. I don't look at their cover letter. I don't care what they send me. The very first thing they, uh, that gets sent to them, it's like, thanks for applying. Looks like you have an amazing, you know, job history and portfolio because my executive assistant is looking at them and sends that message to them and says, hey, please take this assessment. And that's the next step in this process. So that's, they take the assessment. My executive assistant goes down, filters the candidates out, and now I'm left with a list of 100, okay? 
So you have you have a hundred, and they have passed the assessment. Um, what is next for these for these applicants? Yeah. So the next step in is step number five is you have to give these one hundred applicants a test project. All right. Now a lot of people, again, I, I hear this both ways all the time. Oh, don't don't give people actual work to do unless it's paid because that's not fair to them. On the contrary. So I'll give you an example, a story here. When I was applying to work at American Airlines, okay, I was a college student and it, I was in my MBA program and I was applying to be part of their MBA uh, leadership development program at American Airlines, which I got into. But one of the things that they asked me to do was they gave me a case study. They gave me a real world problem um, that was happening and they sent it to me via Excel. And it was a timed assessment, like a timed test project. They, they had me like schedule a time. They said, all right, show up at two o'clock. We're going to send this over to you via email at two o'clock. And then you've got an hour to complete it. Okay. And so I was on the clock and I remember like, I like went to like a study room in the school and I was like, I'm locked in. Like I was all prepped for this and I did it. And, you know, could people consider like I was doing free work for American airlines. I was giving consulting work for them. Oh, okay, sure. You could argue that, but in my opinion, like that's a smart decision for American Airlines because I was then able to turn that around. And then the manager is able to be like, yeah, okay, I, I like the the train of thought that this guy has going. Or wow, th- this this guy's completely out in left field. Like, this isn't even worth like continuing in this conversation. More one of the biggest predictors of success that we have found as we have hired, we have 25 team members on our team now. So Again, we, we've done there. We've done this. We've been there, done that. We have found that the test project that we give people is one of the best predictors of success. How well they do on the test project, if they like just excel and I'm just like blown out of the water, like, wow, this, this guy's impressive. That, that is seen in their work performance here as they work with us. Whereas sometimes if I'm like, well, it's okay, and we end up hiring them, they end up being eh, okay. And then maybe we have an exit conversation down the road. So it definitely has been one of the greatest predictors of, of success for any of the roles. So let me give you a, a concrete example of what we did with our most recent hire. This was our VP of operations, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So it, and you've got to get creative with these. I'll share two examples with you. We hired a research and development um, specialist recently for the business. And we hired VP of operations. So let me give you the context and story behind each of these. So number one, with our VP of operations, I need to see that this person has leadership capabilities. I need to see the way that they strategically think in the future and plan projects. Like this isn't just an Excel file that I'm like, can you solve this equation? Like this is genuinely like, I've got to see like how strategic you are in your thinking process. All right. So what we did is step number one. So I gave them three parts to this test project and I gave them a week to complete it. It wasn't timed. Um, I said, here are the three goals that we have for our business in the year 2023. Okay. One of them was like, we got to launch 12 new products. We've got to do enhanced brand content for 1300 listings. And the last one was that we want to partner with 10 different influencers. That's our goal. I want you to break down how does how do we actually achieve those goals in the year? 
break down what things look like on a quarterly basis and on a monthly basis. And that's it is, you know, I didn't say I need to see this in Excel. I need to see a Gantt chart. I need to see it laid out in a project management tool. I didn't say any of that. I let people just like, I put it out there and said, show me what you're going to show me. And obviously the, the results that I got almost instantly, like the, it, it was very telling from the moment I would open somebody's test project and be like, all right, we're in a good wavelength here. I like the way that you've structured things. You've communicated things properly to me. I could see that you could lead a team because you've communicated things well. So that was the first like test project we gave them. The next thing that we told them to do is we gave them kind of like a, a situation of, hey, a team member hasn't been meeting their KPIs. What kind of, what does your conversation look like? Okay. Now I want to know how do you interact with people? The people that said first off was like, well, they're going to go on probation. And if this happens again, then they're going to be left. Then we'll have to exit them from the company. I was like, wrong. That's not, that's not the culture. One of our core values for our business is we perf- or we correct the process, not the person. We first always look internally to say, what broke down in our process? Did we not train them correctly? Is the process broken? They don't have the tools. We first go through all of that. And then if it is a personnel problem, then yeah, we, we could approach that. But that's the last resort. That's not the first thing. So very quickly, I was able to, again, weed out people that, that didn't believe that same way, right? Uh, we're not seeing eye to eye there. And then finally, I found a case study that was online. Okay, I just Googled like Harvard Business Review case studies about project management, operations management, and went through and just, I copied and pasted the you know, case study and said, hey, fill out this case study. Here's the three questions I need you to answer. How would you solve th- this problem? And from there, you know, was able to see the results. And again, make sure it aligned with what I was looking for, because I already know what success looks like in my mind, right? You can see everything goes back to step number one. Uh, let me give you my, the, the final example here, because I think this is good for people to see practical examples of how this played out. So with our research and development um, specialists that we hired, we need these people to be able to do keyword research, to be creative thinkers, to be able to look at different problems going on in different marketplaces, identify good niches that we could get into and develop products for. So this is a somewhat ambiguous role, to be honest with you, right? Like it's not, hey, I need to see that you know how to optimize PPC campaigns. That's maybe a little more cut and dry. This is a very creative process. So how do we, how did we assess this? Well, we actually gave them one of our, we gave them a little like, um, we gave them our process of how we assess new products, right? Like we opened up our playbook and said, hey, here's our process. It was like a 15 minute like training video, if you'll call it that. So we're giving value to these people. Like we're saying, here's how we do the keyword research process. Here's how we identify the competitors, so on and so forth. From there, we then had them take steps one through five of that process that we recorded for them in that training video. So they knew what was going to be expected of them at the end. Now we needed to see, can you take what you learned from this training video that was showing you Here's how we want you to do the keyword research process. Here's how we do the competitor analysis. Here's how we find new ideas from different marketplaces and merge them all into one that spits out a recommendation. And we were able to see people, you know, and we had different ways that we were scoring. It was like, how well did you do on step one? And we give them a score of one out of five. 
right? One to five. How'd you do on step two? Score them one to five. And so we were able to, like at the end of the day, have a measurable number for each one of our candidates. Those that got scores that were 20 and above, those were the people that we ended up interviewing, having conversations with, and ultimately hiring. The people that were 20 and below is like, sorry, like it's too much work. Like we gave you the training materials and you're not grasping it from the onset. This probably isn't going to work in the future either. So I hope, what do you think, Chad? Are those practical examples? Yeah, absolutely. Sense? Sounds very, very, very thorough. So you, you started at a thousand, you get down to a hundred, and now you've, you've given um, the applicants a test project. How many, how many uh, candidates are often left for interviews? Yeah, great question. So from 100, now we're into step number six here, okay? Uh, step number six is you're going to interview candidates. So from those 100, the number of applicants that will actually probably move forward with completing your test project is going to be anywhere between like 30% to 50%, okay? So that's kind of the expectation. So you're going to get from 100 applicants, maybe 30 to 50 test project submissions, okay? From those, we see that we're able to whittle it down to five to 10 candidates pretty easily from just the test projects. And I, I'm very critical of those test projects because I've only got a finite amount of time. I can't interview all 20, all 30 or 50 candidates. So I have to be very, you know, I've got to draw the line in the sand, so to speak, somewhere. So getting five to 10 is always my ideal. And I take the best ones, whoever scores the highest on the test project, that's how they move forward in the process. So in the interview, in the interview, I'll set up hour-long conversations with people. And one of the steps that we take is we go through their whole career, but I'm not asking them like, hey, what did you do at this job? You know, tell me an area of, you know, what's your greatest weakness or, you know, your typical hiring questions, which are just mm -hmm. bogus. What I'm trying to do is I'm looking, I'm going through their career and I'm looking for patterns of success and for them to have continuously been promoted or rise to leadership positions in anything that they've done. And we'll go all the way back to like college and even high school years, right? Because you're going to find a pattern of people that are successful and that are A players, they naturally rise to become the team leaders, right? So even in college, when you're doing teamwork, guess what? Typically, it's the A players that step up and end up being like, all right, guys, like, let's, let's figure this out. How are we going to do this, right? So you're going through every single one of their you know, careers, right, and roles that they've had. You're like, tell me about this role. All right, how long were you there for? Tell me what, was, what did you like the most? What did you like the least? All right. Now, have you ever been promoted, right? And, and I'm getting very detailed with these conversations. And I'm probing to get a really good glimpse of have they, do they go into new roles and then quickly get promoted, right? It's like, yeah, my manager loved working with me. And then, you know, he needed to find a way to, to move me up. Like you're looking for that. Here's the other biggest like hack and like ninja tactic that I think is one of the best things that you can ask during the interview process. And I call this the truth serum. Um, it requires people to answer honestly. And you get really, really candid um, responses back from your interviewees. So what is this question? You tell them it's the thread of reference check. You tell them, hey, obviously, this is an important role. We're going to need to speak to your, you know, uh, your references. Ideally, those are people that have been your managers in the past. So as I'm going through their career history, I'm asking them, 
who was your manager? What was his name? What was her name? How do you spell that? Because I want to get detailed. And then I'm going to say, hey, so when I reach out to Matt, when you worked at Procter and Gamble, I'm going to ask him these questions. I'm going to ask him, number one, how would you rate so-and-so's, um, how, how would you rate their performance on a scale of zero to 10? Okay. And I ask him, I say, so when I ask Matt how he'll rate you on a scale of one to 10, what will he say? It's not, if I reach out to Matt, what do you think he'll say? It's, no, I'm reaching out to Matt. What is he going to say? And people are like, um, well, to be honest, he'll probably give me a seven. And the reason why is because we didn't really see eye to eye on many things. I had a lot of other initiatives. And it's like, all right, there's my red flag, right? Um, and then you can obviously follow up with those reference checks and, and confirm. But here's the three questions that I do ask. So number one, how would you rate them on a scale of one to 10? Secondly, what is the greatest strength that they brought to your organization while you were there or while they were there? Step number three is what is their area of improvement? Okay. And you want to ask, you want to get to know people's area of weakness. You'd ask it that way. You say, when I reach out to Matt, what will he say is your area of, of improvement, right? It's not, what do you think is your area of improvement? It's you've had performance reviews with Matt. What has he told you in the past? Cause he's going to tell me. So let's be honest here. Right. Um, and then last thing I do ask. So I guess this is the fourth question is, would you hire this person again? Yes or no. So those are the questions that I do ask. And that's kind of the process I follow through those interviews. And naturally, sometimes it will be a tough decision between one or two people. But then that leads into, you know, step number seven, which is extending an offer. And honestly, you have to go with your gut on this. You know, if you've got two or three candidates, they're like, look, it's a toss up. Like all of these people have great careers, you know, Sometimes you could even hire both people, right? And be like, well, I'm going to plug you in into this other role just because you're so good. I need to find an area for you. I've done that in the past where I'm like, look, you're both good. I've, I'm just figuring out a new opportunity for you because you're amazing. That has worked out and it's re required more work. Now I need to go to find a new role profile, all of that over there, but it's been effective. And then you sign that role profile document that we talked about earlier, right? You let them know, hey, what, is, what does success look like at 90 days? What does it look like 180 days? You literally send that to them to sign so that as they begin, they know exactly what their expectations are. So when it gets to 30 days in or uh, three months in, you can have that 90-day conversation and be like, yeah, this isn't quite working out for us as you can see, right? And to them, it shouldn't be a surprise at that point. Or, dude, you're crushing it. This is amazing. Like, let's keep this going. Here's what your next 90 days look like. Um, so that is what I would say is how you, you know, the, pro the process to hire and identify A players, bring them onto your team and have them continue, uh, continue to produce a team, A level results for the business. Wow. Sounds like quite, a, uh, it sounds like an amazing process and it's, it's really worked out for you. It has. We've built an amazing team. It's come with a lot of trial and error. So. I hope that these seven tips and seven steps that I walk through today is able to help other entrepreneurs in their process, in their journey of, of hiring new team members. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, thanks for sharing those with us, Josh. It's been great being here and great talking to you today. Likewise. Thanks again, Chad. So long, everybody. 
Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.